Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Church, in that last song that we sang, we were singing about our mission. And we said, Lord, awaken us from lethargy because you are worth it and the mission is worth it. And we said, Lord, give us zeal to accomplish this mission. You know what another word for zeal is? Anger, passion, righteous, uh, a righteous sort of indignation that the nations are not yet bowing the knee to Jesus. I want to preach this morning about anger. We started in James 1.19. This morning's message is really selected scriptures about anger, and the title is Anger, Too Much and Not Enough. I think as a church, we're not yet fulfilling our mission because we have too much zeal and anger about things that we shouldn't have zeal and anger about. And I think we don't have enough zeal and righteous indignation about the things that we should have righteous anger about. So I want to talk this morning about anger, too much and not enough. My contention is, this is my point, we are too, the church is too outraged and passionate about all the wrong things that are distracting us. And the church is too gentle and tolerant and mousy about the most important things where we really should involve ourselves. I want to challenge you about where there's too much anger and passion in your life going in the wrong direction. And I want to challenge you to have more anger and zeal, righteous anger and zeal in the right directions. I want to help us get it right. I myself am not getting it right yet, but this study has helped me. I want us to apply anger where we should and not where we shouldn't. I want us to apply our attention and our action as a church and as people of Jesus where it should be, not where it shouldn't be. So we'll look together at God's word, and as I prepare to read to you from God's word, first, uh, just a short prayer to ask God's blessing. Within these walls, let holy peace and love and concord dwell. Here give the troubled conscience ease, the wounded spirit heal, the hearing ear, the seeing eye, the humble mind bestow, and shine upon us from on high, and make our graces grow. Lord Jesus, amen. James chapter 1. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry, literally a command, be angry, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin and give no opportunity to the devil. When it comes to our public culture, let us admit we have an anger problem. Our constant state of unhinged social media, quasi-political outrage makes us, I don't think I'm exaggerating here, makes us literally unable to process reality. Therefore, we're unable to 
discerningly determine the wise course of response to reality. And we've become unable to carry through uh, proposed wise solutions with the calmness and deliberation that's required. We have anger issues. And not only are we too angry, but it's my contention this morning that the church is not applying her zeal and her righteous indignation exactly where she should. Where, where should our passionate concern be as people of Jesus? And so I want to trace this theme all around Scripture. Uh, the notes and all the references that I'm using, uh, they'll be online with the, with the live stream of the service this morning, so don't feel like you have to uh, jot everyone down. They'll, they'll, be, uh, they'll be printed or posted on there. And just let me say that this sermon this morning is most definitely a sermon for Christians. In other words, I'm talking about the, the Christ-like moral attitude and action that belongs to those who belong to Christ. The sermon this morning is not uh, primarily a gospel sermon. The gospel is that we don't uh, obey ourselves into God's favor. The gospel is that Jesus took our place, all our sin upon himself, so that we're given his righteousness. That's the gospel. But the entailment of the gospel is that once Jesus saves us, we walk like Jesus. And in fact, we become angry like Jesus. And we refuse anger like Jesus did. Both of those things. Both of those things. So if we could start with classic moral reasoning that says that uh, virtue is the mean uh, between two vices, when I say virtue is the mean, now we're going to get off track right away. If you think I mean mean like being mean to people, I mean mean like mathematically, the sweet spot in the middle. Virtue is the mean between two vices. Uh, the vice of excess, too much, and the vice of deficiency, not enough. The vice of excess and the vice of deficiency are too much and not enough. For example... The virtue of courage. I think we actually sang about in that last song, having courage to take the gospel to the nations. The virtue of courage lies between two extremes. The deficiency is that of acting cowardly. The uh, excess would be acting uh, recklessly. So anger, we would say the excess would be a sort of an outrage that's just destructive, mindlessly, and outrage and wrath. But on the other side, the, deficien the deficiency side would be apathy or lethargy or not caring enough. And so you see, righteous anger is that mean sweet spot between too much and not enough. An unstable rage on the top side that, that just destroys everything mindlessly, but a do-nothing tolerance on the bottom side that doesn't care about the things that God tells us to care about. And so let's work together from the word of God to try to put together the puzzle and get it right. Because the Bible does give us clarity here. The two verses that we already read give us some clarity. And there are many other verses to go along with them. So to make a few, a few related points around this issue of anger, the first point to make is this. God calls us to be angry, 
and yet not sin. God calls us to be angry and yet not sin. Therefore, anger can be a helpful force for good, but anger can also be a sinful force for bad. That's, that's the first thing that I'm saying. Like I said, these notes will be online, um, Lord willing, if I did it the right way, which I probably didn't. Uh, God calls us to be angry and yet not sin. Anger can be a helpful force for good. Anger can be a sinful force for bad. So in that point, the second half of that point is very easy to prove from Scripture. Anger can be a sinful force for bad, right? 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, I'm about to come see you, and he says this, I am afraid that when I come find you, I will not find you as I wish, but I will find you quarreling, jealous, angry, hostile, slandering, gossiping, conceited, and in all sorts of disorder. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. Of course, anger and hostility was uh, ripping apart the church at Corinth. That the second half of this first point is easy to prove, that anger can be a sinful force for bad. Ephesians 4.31, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but let all bitterness and wrath and clamor be put away from you. That's talking about sinful anger. Colossians 3.8, but now you must put all these away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Of course we have to put away slander and obscene talk. That's a sort of rage on the top end that's an excess that's sinful. Or are you familiar with Proverbs 15, verse 18? A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 15, verse 18. The second half is easy to prove, but what about that first half? Anger can be a helpful force for good. Can we prove that from Scripture? Well, I think we can, and I don't, even think, I don't even think it's a hard thing to do. God calls us to be angry and yet not sin. That means anger can be a helpful force for good. Anger is not sinful. Much anger is sinful. All sinful anger is sinful, but not all anger is sinful anger. Anger can be a Christ-like virtue. Anger can be a helpful force for good because the Bible tells us that Jesus was angry. Mark chapter three, verse five. Jesus looked around at them with anger and he was grieved at their hardness of heart. The hardness of the human heart that led to injustice and abuse angered the human heart of Jesus. Psalm seven, verse 11, says that God is angry every day. It says in Psalm 7, God is a righteous judge and a God who has righteous indignation at the wicked every single day. God gets angry about the things that are wrong in this world. And your capacity to be angry, I think we said last week from James 1.19, your capacity to become angry is a God-given function of God creating you in his image. It's an expression of being made in his image. Of course, because you're you, your anger is often sinful. But because you're made in the image of God, at least you have the potential to be angry in a non-sinful way, but rather in a helpful and constructive and Christ-like way. Isn't this why James 1.19 says, be slow to anger? In other words, there's a reluctance to anger, but not an absolute God-mandated refusal to ever be angry because there's a sin on the downside of being too apathetic and never making a difference. 
That's why it says, be slow to anger. We could, I didn't list them for you, but you could talk about this. I, could, I can think of three or four Old Testament and three or four New Testament right off the top of my head. And I trust you can too if you've read the book. Find narratives in the Bible where anger is a force for good and find narrative descriptions in the Bible where anger is a force for evil. I can think of three or four of each in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Many narratives show the power of anger. Well, God calls us to be angry and not sin. Therefore, anger can be a helpful force for good. This is sort of the the not enough side of it. God calls us to be angry. So some Christians, frankly, don't have enough God-given anger and angst and uh, uh, sanctified outrage at the ungodliness around them. In other words, the person who's cool with everything is an ungodly person. The person who's chill with anything is a very unchristlike individual. The person who will never disagree and who always compliments and never criticizes is not Christian. They're not necessarily gentle and loving. There are some things that we should not put up with for the sake of being nice or keeping the peace. There are some cases where a failure to be angry is a failure to be Christ-like, is a failure to live in a godly way. Where God's, where God's honor and my neighbor's good are at stake, then doing nothing could very well be a sin against the commandment to love God's glory and to love my neighbor. Doing nothing may very well be sinful. There are many cases where if we do nothing and we're apathetic, we're on the wrong side of what God has commanded us to do. When Jesus was angry at the money changers in the temple, the the writer of the gospel there inserted a line from Psalm 69 where the godly individual human says, zeal for God's house has consumed me. And that was not a bad thing in the psalm and not a bad thing in the life of Jesus. This zeal for God's glory came out in a righteous passion to make a difference. But how do we deal with these things in a Christ-like way? How do we express anger and disagreement and concern in a Christ-like way? I mean, that's one question is, which thing should we express it about? But the other is, when we do come around to express anger, how, how can we express that? Maybe the, second, maybe the second big point to cluster some scriptures around would be this. Christians can express anger and disagreement in ways that honor God and love neighbor. Christians can express anger and disagreement in ways that show trust and love toward God and ways that show godly love toward neighbor. In other words, this point is meant to erase this sort of worldly fuzzy concept that Christians are always nice and they never disagree with anyone. Christians can express anger and disagreement in ways that honor God and love neighbor. If you want to look at a a scripture, look with me at Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is interesting because Psalm 37 says, don't be angry. And Psalm 37 says, be meek. But Psalm 37 isn't an absolute forbidding. 
of all anger. I want to show you that. The point here is that to be spirit-filled and Christ-like does not mean that you can never disagree. It doesn't mean you can't have a strong opinion and even be angry. But you need to do so in a way that accords with uh, the Christian virtues of humility and even of meekness. Psalm 37. This is a good psalm to read in evil days when wickedness prevails and cities are burning down. Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious because of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. We can end our reading there. Verse 8 forbids sinful anger. It says to forsake it. Verse 11 commends meekness and gentleness. The whole psalm reminds us, how often does the psalm say, all this stuff about the world that's enraging you, soon it's going to fade away like grass on a sunny day. In other words, remember how short life is. Remember how insignificant, in that sense, the people around you are, and essentially remember how insignificant you are. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, uh, leave the outcome of the universe in God's hands. You're not going to change the whole world by your righteous anger. Trust God to accomplish his will. You recognize verse 11? Jesus quoted verse 11 in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek will inherit the earth. What is meekness and what is gentleness? Well, if if you were at least part of the way with me from the first moment of the sermon until now, you'll understand that my contention is gentleness and meekness is not a, a command to never be angry and never disagree and never even use strong words with someone. So what is it? Gentleness and meekness, I think again, is that virtue between the two vices. It moderates the human uh, over-desire that I have to make everything right in the next five minutes. Trust God to do it. It also moderates that human desire for vengeance, that I need to, I, I need to settle the score today. When we see injustice, 
There is a God-given anger about that. And there's a God-given desire to make that right. And yet at the same time, God has not given us either the authority or the power to make it all right in the next five minutes or five days or five decades. History belongs to him. So we should do what we can in our moment, but we can't do everything. And that enables us to rest and trust God even while we push and do what's right. What is gentleness and meekness? That's a, that's a really good question. What is gentleness and meekness? It's something that is very often misunderstood. Gentleness and meekness, verse three, verse three, gentleness and meekness only grows in the soil that trusts the Lord. If someone seems gentle, but they don't trust the Lord, that's not biblical gentleness. Biblical gentleness and meekness only grows in the soil of trusting the Lord. Verse three. Verse four, delighting oneself in the Lord. Verse five, committing one's way to the Lord. That's key. Gentleness and meekness enables you to commit your way to the Lord. You don't have to establish everything with your own hands. Gentleness or meekness is not a personality type. In other words, big sort of obnoxious personalities can be meek and gentle. And quiet, very quiet personalities can actually fail the biblical test of gentleness and meekness. It's not a personality type. Gentleness and meekness is not a stoic lack of emotion. You have two friends that are on two different poles, I do. I've got a friend who is, reacts so emotionally to everything. And, if I have, and I have another friend, I'm like, are you Mr. Spock? I've never seen emotion out of you. Like, but gentleness and meekness is not a sort of stoic lack of emotion. It's not the absence of emotion. And gentleness, let us be very clear, is not weakness. Gentleness is not a timidity that refuses to step in and take ownership and agency. Gentleness is a form of strength that enables a particular type of ownership and agency because gentleness grows out of the soil of trusting God for the ultimate outcome and doing my little part that God has called me to do today. So gentleness and meekness enables a particularly Christian form of activity that in the long run is the most productive kind of activity that we can have. In other words, you should be gentle and meek and you should speak out against injustice and confront injustice when it confronts you. We need to do that. Gentleness and meekness does not mean that there will be no confrontation. In other words, meekness and gentleness will not ruin confrontation. Meekness and gentleness will not ruin making a difference and telling the truth and standing up for what's right. Meekness and gentleness will not ruin that. What meekness and gentleness will ruin is the human pride and the human arrogant assertiveness and the human grandstanding that says, look at me and look at what I'm doing and, and, and I'm everything. Gentleness and meekness will ruin that. And we need a lot less of that and a lot more Christ-like uh, contention. Gentleness and meekness will keep the true passion right where it ought to be. 
That's why it accords with righteous anger and zeal. All sorts of problems arise because we let our anger not be tempered by meekness and gentleness of Christ. Anger does not need to ruin everything. I have, I have, I've been in, uh, a pastor here long enough that I, I have many uh, stories of wounding where I have seen Christians be angry in a way that they wounded each other, not in a good way. But I could also tell you many stories that I've been a part of where Christians were angry and it was good because they, the, that, that anger was Christ-like and it motivated a needed change. So to be very pertinent and very personal, not so much about the public square, but just about sort of uh, life in the church. Let me give you a very practical way to understand this question. What should you do when somebody else who's in this room right now makes you angry or upsets you or sets you off? What should you do when someone else in the church wrongs you? Not that sweet people like you would ever do anything wrong. I'm just, this is more for the internet and other churches that'll listen to this. I know in this church, nobody does anything wrong to each other, but just theoretically. When someone wrongs you, maybe this is our third big point that we could cluster some scriptures around. When someone wrongs you, two options. When someone wrongs you, you can be slow to anger by in love, just covering it over and forgetting about it. When someone wrongs you, you can be slow to anger by in love, covering it over and forgetting about it. Or when someone wrongs you, you can be slow to anger by in love, clearly communicating with them about it. And those are your two, and I would say only two options. <laughs> when someone wrongs you, you can be slow to anger and in love, you can just cover it over. Or when someone wrongs you, you can be slow to anger and in love, you can clearly communicate with them about it. First half of that point. When someone wrongs you, you can be slow to anger by in love, just covering it over. First Peter 4, 8. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers over a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. Proverbs 19, 11. I love this verse. Proverbs 19, 11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a matter. I love that verse. In the world, the more glorious you are, the more you make everybody pay for what they did to you. In the kingdom of Jesus, the more glorious you are, the more you overlook when others wrong you. I love Jesus' way. 1 Peter 2, 19 and 21, uses the very example of Jesus. It says, when Jesus suffered unjustly, we follow his example. When we do good and suffer, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, 19 to 20. So, when someone wrongs you, you can be slow to anger by in love, just covering it over. This is what I recommend. When a stranger is rude to you, just let it go. Just forget about it instantly. Water off a duck's back. When a coworker makes cutting, mean comments, you can be the only person in your office suite that doesn't give back. You just turn the other cheek. 
When a church member is insensitive and irritating to you, you can choose in love to just cover it over. This is not a difficult choice. It is a difficult choice because we are a bunch of porcupines, but it is not a difficult choice because how often have I been covered over in love myself? I certainly wouldn't be behind this pulpit if I wasn't covered over in love for all of the sins, not mistakes, sins that I have chosen to commit. Many times, you ought to just cover it over in love. Jay, Biblical counselor Jay Adams says uh, love, this kind of love in 1 Peter 4, 8 is a forgetting kind of forgiving love. I like that. It is a forgetting kind of forgiving love. So be slow to anger and just cover it over. Now, what about the second half? When someone wrongs you, you can also be slow to anger by in love clearly communicating about it. And this is where I come back to uh, the not enough. Maybe in the church, there, there's not enough like clear confrontation with one another. In a gracious, Christ-like, merciful, humble way, we need to talk to each other about the things that we disagree about and in a way that honors Christ and honors our relationship. In other words, if the wrong can't be covered over with love and it has to be dealt with, then for the other person's good, you have to talk to them and you need to have a conversation with them. You need to deal with it in a way that you're dealing, you're talking to them about it, not because you're so angry, but you're talking to them about it because you are concerned about their good and God's blessing in their life. And so when you do that, how, how, how should I approach them? And this is where we go, get it wrong because we, 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 we're like wrong from the very first step. And so how are we going to complete the journey if we're wrong from the first step? We have to approach them, not in an expression of our righteous anger necessarily, but we have to approach them in love and concern for their well-being. And we have to, con we have to approach them with a charitable attitude where we don't prejudge them. James chapter 4 actually says there are so many divisions in the church because you have judged each other before you've ever even started talking to each other. Man, is that ever a word for our day? It's impossible to have a constructive conversation with someone if you have already boxed them in before they've even said one word back to you. And we do that all the time. Let's regain when Jesus said, don't judge but before you get there. Don't, don't judge the other person. Let's get, that, let's get that back. You know, how, how you approach another person, you, you could not do better than memorizing James 3, 17 and 18. Listen to James 3, verses 17 and 18. And the next time you're gonna approach someone that you disagree with, you memorize this verse. James 3, 17 and 18. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Wow, what a thing for the Bible to say. Open to reason full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Approach someone in a way that's peaceable and open to reason and full of mercy. But I expect us to be able to approach each other about things. 
And this is, this is on the not enough anger side of it. Just let me say, uh, hopefully this isn't a, a personal rant. Hopefully this is a, a helpful Bible teaching. I, oh, I have just had it up to here with quasi-Christian people saying this or that is not loving. How dare we say what is and isn't loving based on what we feel like on the optics of the situation? God is love. And what God has revealed in his word is loving. And so for me to do what God has commanded me to do in his word is loving. We, 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 we have to get this back. This world says that love just accepts everything and never confronts anything, but that's, that's the most unloving and untrue thing that the world could say in, in the church. What about those? There are not just two or three of them. What about those passages about church discipline where we're actually commanded, Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Titus 3, that if there's a believer in the church who is in unrepentant sin, we are commanded by Christ to confront such a one in love that they might be restored. But if they refuse to repent, we're commanded by Christ in love to put such a one out of the church for the good of their own soul, for the good of the church, and for the glory of God. That is, that is the most loving thing that we could do because God, who is love, has commanded us to do that. And we have to get that back where there's an expectation that we really will admonish and confront and help each other. So there's too much anger in, in certain ways that we're not called to necessarily take, but there's not enough righteous zeal in these simple ways that God has called us to take. Another area, certainly wouldn't you agree, uh, not... not taking a specific shot, but saying in general, wouldn't you agree? Christian parenting, God has called Christian parents to not put up with certain behaviors and actions and attitudes in the lives of their children. That's God's command. And we, we have, you know, some Christian parents who are just not zealous and committed enough to God's process of biblical discipline in the lives of their children. And it's a failure to love their children. Withholding that rod of discipline is not love. Not if the God who is love has, has showed you how to apply it. I mean, church elders... Who, who are not disciplining straying church members. This is not loving. We, we're under a command from Jesus to call them back to repentance. So let's, as far as we're able, read the scripture, pray the scripture so that we can recapture this heart of God. There is a place for the right kind of anger and zealous concern for one another. Because after all, this is the kind of love that God has for us. We love one another because he first loved us. And when God loved us, he wasn't uh, cool with everything. He wasn't chill. He didn't paper over our differences. Real blood was shed because my actual iniquity was metaphorically but literally placed upon my Savior. He really deals with things, with gospel reality. This sort of avoidance and deflection and refusal is not godly. 
So let's not paper over things with artificial sweetness. Let's speak the truth to one another, but let's do so with gentleness and meekness, with, with our neighbor's good in mind. And so this will enable us to manifest this kind of gospel reality in our fellowship. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, as your word has been open, so many different verses have been read, and we trust by you applied in conviction to our lives. Do a good gospel work to make us more godly in all the ways that our anger is misdirected and proud and mistaken. Lord, humble us and correct us. And in all the areas where you've called us to a more zealous expression and we have refused in cowardice, Lord, embolden us. But let your word do its perfect work in every heart. For Jesus' sake, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.